Okay, let me say that again. Starting over. Welcome to People Who Do Things, a podcast about creating and creative people. I'm John H. Matthews. And I'm Laura Buckwald. Thank you for joining us on another episode. After we spoke with actor, comedian, writer, musician, Michael McClone, we asked if he would be interested in doing something special for us, and he graciously said yes. So here is Michael McClone with a reading from his novel, Cal. Prologue. I have always been intrigued by wanderers. Not that I am given to such lifestyle myself. No, as nature dictates, I prefer a stable home, a consistent place to rest. But in younger years, deprived of either, the most significant epoch of my life is distinguished by a homeless drifting, a sometimes blurry but ever-present montage of moments in motion. And while, given the luxury of choice, this legacy might have been quite different, it is also, by that very fact, more rich with meaning. For if one is never forced beyond themselves, how many lessons would be lost? Indeed, I can attest the time of my highest and most passionate learning can be marked at the moment I began living without the benefit of predictability. For that, all thanks are to my brother Cal as the time of which I write, was one in which all was determined by his will, his dream, one that without I would have scarcely ever glimpsed the many other worlds that by its passion were open to me. And so I have always been intrigued by wanderers, because their world is naturally open, and while it was one I lived in for a time, it was always with the sensation of knowing its truest beauty and liberty would be ever beyond my capacity to feel. However impossible it may be to embody a truth, no less understanding it is an entirely different matter. And to that I can claim some credit. In fact, I believe I came to understand it fully as a direct result of how free I was from its distinctions. You see, my nature expressed itself in the measured study of life, cows in the surging spontaneity of living it. Movement, change, renewal. These were the requisites of his existence, so that wherever we were, however much in the moment, it was paradoxically always subject to the next place and time. Rooted deep in Cal's character was an unabatable attraction to the unknown and an unflagging energy in the face of it, a vitality almost dependent upon the degree of challenge and instability surrounding him, the size of the adventure calling it to cause. As if he thrived on the absence of comfort, he deplored all security and similitude rarely giving thought to any home, however lush, that did not also offer the advantage of impermanence and some ready escape. If there were any flaws in such a way of being, my boy's mind could not conceive them, 
and for a time I admit it was the only evidence I needed to believe in perfection. My faith in Cal was total, which, given the only thing I was as convinced of, was my utter lack of the qualities he comprised, perhaps illuminates why I had so little faith in myself. Para el hero lo hacemos a nosotros mismos pequeños. Some years ago, retelling a part of the story I am here to share with you, the old man with whom I had been talking said this to me, For the hero, we make ourselves small. He said it with a smile, his aged face but vital eyes, conferring secretly, in his past, there may have been a hero too. And for all his pleasure in it, like me, he grew up slowly, thwarted by doubts and self-avoidance, any mirror offering but the poor reflection of a stranger. Not ironically that I even saw that clearly, for, as truly, finally, all I could see was Cal, or at least everything only in terms of him. In some respects, however, I should say, my brother and I were not entirely different, for as much as we were separated by temperament, we were ever equal in our desire to outrun the past we shared and reshape the lives we knew. For that, the only difference was our method of doing so. Cal, by pursuit of extraordinary adventure, and I, without the slightest thought of myself, blindly following. From the time of my earliest memories, it was as if I had no will of my own, and no direction, but for that which circumstance demanded, the most significant of which was being the fourth-born child to an impoverished and fatherless family on the banks of the Delaware who'd watched through cruel winters his siblings perish, his mother go mad, and his idea of life become no more animated or uplifting than the dark and terrible losses that had scarred his youth. And so it would seem less than remarkable. My personality should have been shaped by the one vestige of any emotional sustenance I retained, my brother, and the one vestige of hope that did he. As to that... It would seem a good place to begin. For as much as I clung to Cal, so did he to me, and the dream that defined him. The pursuit of which first led us onto the road of the wanderer, and, inexorably, to all the adventures that followed. Chapter The Terrible Act of Terrible Men on a cold and rainy November morning in New Haven, Connecticut, 1925, I saw my first dead body. Like myself, it had found its way into the town farm horse stables the night before, though unlike me, would not be roused when the small legion of men who took such an interest in it had come to fill the rank and tiny stall with their heavy footsteps, barking voices, and edgy, intimidating manners. These were what constituted the policeman who had been summoned to the scene by the stable hand who had found the dead man. In his horror, he had not discovered me also, and so, still hidden, I was left to wake into the crude symphony of incomprehensible competing conversations, an errant mumble, the shuffling of feet, the high, heavy stable doors sliding closed, and the wind careening across the iron bars of the small transom above me. I still remember, as vividly as if it were yesterday, when my eyes opened with the realization I was in the center of something mysterious and very important. 
and that I was in the center of it, illegally, having snuck into the very stall where the dead man had been deposited the evening before. I had slept, unseen and undisturbed, beneath a blanket of hay in its far left corner, through both his having been left there in the night and the stable hand happening upon him the next morning. All this within five feet of my feedly curled twelve-year-old body, peaceably snoozing. Up to the moment the gathering voices, the neighing of the waking horses, had me emerging from my slumber until I was fully awake. That I was also terrified deserves reporting. I was still totally ignorant of what was happening and that those now inhabiting the stall with me were police. Such men, so well used to the lowest and ugliest of human events, are surprisingly composed. When I first heard their voices, it did not leap to mind they were standing in close proximity to a grisly tragedy. Until I heard the words, I've never seen so much blood. My tweed hay market hat now being strangled in my left hand, I listened as another man said, Some maniac kills a man like this. If these words were enough to freeze my heart, still they were insufficient to still my body. As I, only then realizing I'd been holding my breath, exhaled too noisily, shifted in the hay, and heard, what was that? To the sound of footsteps coming toward me, I closed my eyes. And then the hay was coming away from me. I was opening my eyes again and looking directly into the gaze of a uniformed policeman. What's this? A pale and starving, frightened, hapless youth by the name of Michael McCarrick. That's what that was. You have been listening to People Who Do Things, a podcast with John H. Matthews and Laura Buckwald. Thank you for listening.